verse 17. He says, every good gift and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So this is, again, David just confessing here that, that any good within himself, anything good that he would do, anything good thing, any good thing that he has is from God to be used and enjoyed and, and to be done to the glory of God. Uh, and that's why he ties it into the psalm. And that's, again, the psalm is largely about following the ways of the Lord. And so we see that, um, that, that God alone is good. Now, I, I, just before we move on from this part, I, I do think um, that, that oftentimes that we can really kind of uh, sometimes even miss the mark a little bit with this. Like I think sometimes specifically in our kind of theological tribe, we can, uh, we can kind of harp on, on this part, right? Um, like like uh, when we discuss this doctrine, we can almost over-focus on our sin, right? Or not our sin, but our, our, our wretchedness, right? Like that we have no good thing. Because yes, we are sinful, we are wicked, and if left to our own devices, we are going to choose our sin every single time. Any, any opportunity that we have to do good and to choose God over our sin, that goodness comes from God, yes. But I think sometimes, again, we can, we can kind of preach that point so heavily that, that, that we then just kind of end up walking around all kind of mopey and, and not walking in the joy of the Lord and the fullness that he has there. Because yes, we are bad, but, but he is way more good than we are bad, amen? He is good. And he extends that goodness to us. And so we're called to be a people marked by confession and repentance. And, and a big part of that is uh, lamenting and mourning and grieving our sin. But we are also called to get out of that and walk in the fullness of joy. We don't always stay in a place of brokenness because while we do that and lament again and grieve our sin, if we, if we just are stuck in that, then it's just this incomplete picture of the gospel. We, we don't walk in the fullness of that. He's given us the joy of his salvation. So we will walk in that. Okay, so let's move on. This is, uh, we'll, we'll pick it up in verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. And so in the first couple of verses, we see David is, is seeking the Lord for preservation and he's professing that God alone is good and that he is his God. And then he turns his attention to the people of God, right? And he calls them the, the, the saints, he calls them the excellent ones in the land that, that he delights in. And man, this is, this is David loving the church. This is him seeing and, and being encouraged by the goodness of God in the saints of the land, He's loving the people of God that seek after the good of their God. And it's the same thing, man, when I think about uh, you, uh, when I think about Northbrook, when I think about uh, uh, believers and, and see us uh, as, as individuals and then as a church uh, doing good things and sacrificing uh, in order to love and serve the community. Uh, when, when, when I hear of folks budgeting money uh, in their personal budgets to give away to those, and it, man, that, that gets me fired up. I get excited about seeing the goodness of God in the church, in us. 
And so this is David, he's, he's doing this, he's, he's, he's saying that, that as he sees people praying and fasting and following the ways of the Lord, he is receiving that joy and he's being encouraged. And now, when we hear the word excellent, uh, sometimes we, we've gotta understand the order here. And again, I know I just talked about not harping too much on our, uh, our badness, but, but stick with me, it's a gospel order. It's not, this is not the saints that are doing God's will and, and following his ways and running after God in order that they might make themselves excellent. Okay, this is, this, that, that's very much a works-based gospel, which is no gospel at all. Okay, we, we don't earn excellency in Christ. His excellency is given to us. And, and we don't follow God's ways in order to gain a right standing uh, with him. It's the right standing that we have already been given in Christ that then empowers us, this grace-driven effort to, to follow in his ways. Because again, God alone is good and, and perfect and excellent, and his ways are, are what makes his people excellent. And, and so we can understand that, but then, but then we have to do something with that, right? We've got to think, man, how, how often do we not live excellently in the land? How often are the saints not living excellently and not following the ways of God? How often are we not living sacrificially? How often are we, are we not seeking the good of God and seeking the good of others to love and to serve, but how often are we seeking our own comfort? How often are we seeking uh, our own pleasures? How often are we so, like Will was talking about, how often are we so inwardly focused that we're, that we're just navel-gazing and, and not living sacrificially and walking in God's ways? We, we either sometimes fit in too much with the world and with the culture that there's really no marked difference in us, but then sometimes we can live uh, almost so hyper-countercultural uh, that, that instead of showing the love and the kindness of Christ, we almost show a, a vitriol or a hatred for, for people that, that just shuns them and, and, and turns them away from God because his followers look nothing like him in those moments. I mean, this is why it's so imperative that, that God's people are so committed to him and committed to his ways because, again, that's what leads to human flourishing. That, that's what leads to God saying, hey, these are my ways and this is what's right for godly living. It's the flourishing, not just of our faith, but, but also just for all of humanity together. And this is why David's saying here that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Because David understands that it's not God that, that, that is, is um, he, he's not just putting these statutes in place for his people to, to restrict joy, but it, it's actually really loving of God to put these in place and, and give these boundaries because it, it brings a much fuller joy. The lines, the boundaries, rules, law, what, statutes, whatever you want to call them, from God, they're not burdensome. They're, they're pleasurable because life is best lived, it's best enjoyed, it's best flourished, again, within these bounds. And so, again, when we go back to engaging culture, we're saying, uh, we're, we're, we're not, we're not it, it's not a combative thing where we're spewing vitriol at them. We're, we're simply saying, hey, look, God has set things in this order and, and said as he created the world, as he created man and woman, as he created marriage, as he created work, as he created family, like all of these things, relationships with friends and family, all of these things are within these bounds. And this is the way that it is going to go best for us in the land. 
And so the saints are the excellent ones in the land because we understand this and we're following God's ways in that. Because we know that the endless quest to find joy in anything besides him, it just leaves us empty-handed and fruitful. Sorry, fruitless. Sometimes I try to avoid saying heresy, so that's, I'm going to, yeah. It leaves us empty-handed and fruitless, yeah. Life already comes with, man, so much pain and so much sorrow and suffering, so God, again, in his kindness, he provides a way to, that, that even kind of minimizes that. That's why for those that, that don't follow his ways, those that chase after false gods, they have their sorrows multiplied. Abundant joy comes with running after God. Because if you're not running after him, if you're not running to God, then you are running away from him and running towards any other false god where, where sorrows we see are abundant. You know, throughout scripture, we see several examples of, of people that, are, that try to kind of marry together this idea of, of worshiping God for who he is, uh, but then also kind of marry it together with, with pagan practices or pagan worship uh, worship practices. We, we see, remember, uh, through Hosea that the Israelites were punished uh, for worshiping God, but also worshiping pagan false gods by sacrificing with cult prostitutes and back in Hosea 4. And then we see in the New Testament that Paul, when he writes the letter to the Galatians, he's writing this because the Judaizers are trying to say, hey, uh, y- yes, it's the, the cross that saves you, but also it, it's the circumcision. So you've got, it's yes, grace, but you also have to do this. And, and they're trying to marry this, these practices together, these Old Testament rules where God is saying, no, that's not, that's not how this works. You can't bring evil into good and call it good. He's saying, these are my ways. I, I even think about in, in our world today, the, the, the kind of maybe you've seen the bumper stickers on the backs of cars that uh, are, they're all different kinds of symbols that are representing uh, different world religions uh, and they spell out the word coexist. Um, and, and while that is a, a really, uh, it's a nice sentiment, Christianity simply cannot exist in any other religion in the way that that sticker would suggest. Right, like it, it, it's not suggesting that we can't all live peaceably together, uh, which I believe that we can in many ways. It's actually suggesting this kind of, well, to each his own or, or kind of find your own truth that works for you, all roads lead to Rome kind of mindset. But, but Christianity is saying, hey, if, if what we believe, if Christianity is true, if, if there is only one way then it means every other religion is false. Even though other religions may claim that there are multiple ways to God, and and one of those ways is Christianity. Again, Christianity actually says, no, there is no way. The only way that leads to eternal life is through the perfect work, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our our faith in God cannot be syncretistic. It, it, it can't be paired with uh, a worship of anything else or anyone else. And so, uh, so, so much so that David's recognizing this in the land and he's, he's saying, hey, I, I won't put another God on my lips. I won't put the name of another God on my lips. I, I won't participate in any drink offerings of blood to something else. That, that's not the way that our God, that's not the way that he has set forth for us to worship him. And again, more, he's saying more gods is not better. 
Because a lot of what they were doing, especially back then in Hosea, was, was they were seeing, uh, hey, yes, Yahweh is, is the way that God will, will worship him. But also, uh, we see this other God, and it's like, well, we, we might as well take out some insurance, right? And, and kind of add to, we'll get our bases covered. More is better. But he's saying, no, more gods is not better. Again, back in Hosea, God himself says he will remove the names of the Baals, the false gods, out of the mouth of Israel because there is one true God, and, and he has chosen to give himself to his people as our portion. He is the overflowing cup that we get to drink from, and he holds our lives and our destiny in his hands. And because of this, David's saying, man, we have a beautiful inheritance, a beautiful inheritance. And we know uh, on, on this side of the cross, we know that our inheritance is fulfilled by the work of Jesus. Because Romans 8 tells us that we have been adopted by the Father and, and that we're now heirs of God and co-heirs, fellow heirs with Christ. Man, what a beautiful inheritance indeed. And so if indeed God's people are to be faithful to him, if we're to walk in his ways, if we're to be the excellent saints that David speaks of here, who, who only run after God alone, who flourish within the lines that he's set forth, well, how do we do this? Not that way. How do we do this? How do we, how do we keep tethered to him? How do, how do we follow his ways against what, what the world would say is the way? How do we keep ourselves pure? Well, hallelujah, we have a faithful God. And as we learned last week in Psalm 144, we're, we're gonna learn again that we have a faithful God who teaches us and who himself is. He's our strength and our salvation. And so let's pick it up here in verse 7. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. And so we see again, the, the Lord gives counsel to his people. Again, just like we talked about last week, uh, that, that by his Holy Spirit, he, he teaches our hearts. And, and get this, he teaches our hearts to instruct ourselves. Now, I, I know Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things, but as God continues to work on us, as he continues to sanctify uh, our hearts, he, he actually teaches us that our hearts are capable of speaking the truth of God because he's empowered our hearts to speak the truth of God to ourselves and to others. His, his good ways are, are not, this isn't the typical follow your heart kind of thing. This is not what David's saying. But he's saying that God's good ways are, are taught to us by him to instruct our hearts. I love how Spurgeon says this. He says, it is with gracious habit after taking counsel from above to take counsel within. Wise men see more with their eyes shut by night than fools can see by day with their, their eyes open. He who learns from God and so gets the seed will soon find wisdom within himself, growing in the garden of his soul. The night season which the sinner chooses for his sins is the hallowed hour of quiet when believers hear the soft, still voices of heaven and of the heavenly life within themselves. 
And that's the, that's the heart of stone that God himself has made into the heart of flesh. It's been made new. And that is now day by day, by his work, by his spirit being transformed more and more from one degree of glory to another. He teaches us to set him before us. And it's very first in our hearts. And as we keep him first, he then empowers us to stand firm upon him, upon his holy rock that will not be shaken by any wind of doctrine that may blow through. He teaches his people. He's also our strength and our salvation. And so he is our strength and he goes with us and he fights for us in the battle. Look at verse nine. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so we, as, as God's people, if you've been redeemed by God as his holy uh, uh, and, and, and purchased people, his son or his daughter, as we walk into trials, if we walk into battles of any sorts, we get to walk into that knowing that, that, that we have a deep seated joy because we know that we're going to get to see God work in really intimate, really sweet ways in this and we're in trusting that he's never going to abandon us. And when David says Sheol, that was known back in the Old Testament as just a place where souls of the dead were held before the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And, and David knew, even back then, that, that the death was not the end for, for uh, humanity. He, he knew that death was not the end. This, the end of this life was not the end forever. And so instead, God makes known the path of eternal and everlasting life. And he says, the presence of God is where the fullness of joy and the greatest pleasures that we could ever know the greatest pleasures could ever be found are found in God. It's better than the best food, the best steak that you've ever had, the best portobello mushroom, if, if that's not, if you don't eat beef. It's better than any amount of money that you could imagine, better than the best sex, better than the best vacation you could ever take, on and on and on. Everything that Solomon ran through in Ecclesiastes, the ways of God, God himself, his ways, there are pleasures forevermore. And his Holy Spirit lives in our hearts. And he encourages us. And, and again, for those who love and know and trust the Lord, which means his presence is always with us. It's right there for, uh, for us to be enjoyed for us to enjoy who he is, enjoy what he has done for us. Again, he teaches us that he's our strength and our salvation, and, and then we get to see this so much more beautifully even than David got to see it on, on this side of the cross. We, we get to look back and see the fulfillment of that, fulfillment of what Jesus has done in the cross and in his resurrection. This is from Hebrews 1. I love this. 
Beginning in verse one, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's God giving good counsel and teaching his people. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. It's a beautiful inheritance through whom he also he created the world. He, Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the, the word of his power. That's some strength right there. After making purification for sins, that's our salvation, he sat down, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's pleasure forevermore at the right hand of God. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And the, the excellence of the saints is found in the excellent, in the almighty, in the all-powerful, all-loving, all-kind, all-holy name that is above every other name. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Because he is the one who, who walked into death, but he didn't see corruption. His body didn't see decay. He rose again to conquer sin and death. And it's in his resurrection that we find our hope because, again, we know that the death is not the end for us. And, and though we may die, and, and though he has called us holy ones, we may die and our bodies may see corruption. We may see decay here on the earth. We know that this is not the end. We find hope in the resurrection of Jesus. I love it. Uh, Spurgeon, he again helps us here. This is noble encouragement to all the saints. Die they must, but rise they shall. And though in their case they shall see corruption or decay, yet they shall rise to everlasting life. Christ's resurrection is the cause, the earnest, the guarantee, and the emblem of the rising of all his people. Let them therefore go to their graves as to their beds, resting their flesh among the clods as they do now upon their couches. Death is coming for us, friends. It is approaching rapidly and there is no way to stop it yet death is not the end for us for those that love Jesus who who follow his ways who receive counsel from his spirit and his spirit within others who keep him first and who walk the path of life he has made known to us we will one day rise again to spend eternity with him he is our pleasure he is our paradise. He is our heaven. We get to spend that with him and we get to enjoy his pleasures forevermore. And the great thing is we don't have to wait until then to enjoy him. We don't have to wait until then to enjoy the pleasures at his right hand because Jesus has freely given himself to us. We get to enjoy them right now. And if you're not a believer in this place, if you're wrestling with what, what this means and, and faith, man, Jesus is the greatest pleasure of all. He's the greatest pleasure that we could ever know. And he has freely given himself to us. That offer is extended to you, his grace, his mercy, his love, the fullness of joy is extended to you. So, believer, let's walk in that. 
Let's, let's strive to, to follow the ways of God. Let's, let's read the word, let's pray, let's fast, let's sacrifice and serve others. Let's be the excellent ones in the land, not for our building up or not for Northbrook's sake, not, not for anything of ourselves, but for the glory of God. Because we know that the lines have fallen for us in pleasant places. And in that, we get to know Jesus more. We get to walk with him more. We get to enjoy him more. It's the good gift of his grace that empowers us to do these things and to make it a joy to follow his ways. It's not, they're not overbearing, uh, they're not overburdening ways to joy. And so Northbrook, our, our prayer is, as your elders, our prayer for us as a church is, is that we would be a people that joyfully follow the ways of God, e- even in the midst of and in the face of adversity, in, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of trials, in the midst of persecution, should that come, that we would be a people that joyfully follow the ways of God. And may we now and forevermore find our full joy in Christ Jesus alone. Holy Spirit, help us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, that that you have set out your lines for us in pleasant places. And, And Lord, as that may not feel pleasant for us at times, Lord, as our flesh would, would want to run outside of those lines or, or even uh, try to justify running outside of those lines and use uh, e- even your word to try to uh, walk outside of those lines or, 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 or butt up against those lines, Lord, would you, would you help us to see? Would you continue to tame our rebellious hearts, God? Would you continue, Spirit, to show us that your ways are higher, that your ways are better. And our full joy can be found only in you alone, better than any joy that we could experience here on earth without you. And so we thank you, Lord, for the gift of grace. We thank you for the gift of your word. Lord, may we be a people that are marked by this. And may your excellence, God, may your mercy and grace and glory be on display in our lives for your sake. Because as your glory is exalted, Lord, we know that that is our good. We thank you that you have made known to us the path of life. And in your kindness and your mercy, you have shown us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to empower us to walk in your ways. And Lord, we pray for revival. We, we pray, God, that, that you would empower us to live in such a way, to follow your ways in such a way that, that men and women are, are able to see that and go, what is different about you? What, what is, what's, what's going on in your heart? And we are able to point to you that men and women may see our good works that you've laid out for us, that you've empowered us to do, that see our good works, and they are able to glorify you, Lord. Would you call many men and women to, uh, to, in, into your family? Lord, here in North Fort Worth and beyond. God, we pray for revival. We pray that it would start right here in our hearts, God. Would you change us? Would you sanctify us? Would you empower us, Lord, to know and love you more? Oh, for grace to trust you more, Lord. We thank you. And it's through 
your work. It's through your beautiful name, Jesus, that we live and that we pray. Amen.